Questionably Qualified podcast covering Game of Thrones. Episode 4, The Spoils of War, aired on Sunday. And, of course, I'm here to break it down with none other than Mr. Ryan Maddock. Maddock, how are you, buddy? Um, You know, we're on the verge of a nuclear holocaust, so we might as well talk about dragons. How are you doing tonight, John? <laughs> doing pretty well, because I haven't been paying attention to Twitter or anything that would tell me about the nuclear holocaust on our doorstep. Uh, my therapist says that paying less attention to Twitter would be good for my mental health. <laughs> that that probably goes for everyone. You should instead sink your time into reading Game of Thrones Reddit and rereading the books just, just constantly. <laughs> it seems like it would be better for me. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about what happened in this one. Um, it opens up with Jamie and Bronn leading the army away from Highgarden. Uh, they've secured the gold. They are shaking down the farmers for more crops, more food for the coming winter. And... I think the important part here is that they've got this gold, which is going to be enough to pay back the Iron Bank. And the next cut we get is in King's Landing, Cersei talking to the representative from the Iron Bank. Now, Cersei at this point is attempting to work out some sort of future benefit in exchange for repaying this, saying, and rightfully saying, you know, I've been winning this war. You can throw in your lot further behind me, provide me with the finances I need for a navy, though... I mean, let's be honest, we haven't seen any sort of finances required to build a navy in this show yet. Um, no, it's it's free, and it takes, I don't know, how long, how, what, what was the length of time between season <laughs> six and season seven? A couple weeks, Yeah, maybe. maybe. So, I'm not sure why she needs money. I mean, I would just ask Euron to build another one at that point. Yeah, maybe they're out of trees, you know. Apparently, Could that's be. a finite resource. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Um, and I would say that at this point, the the representative from the Iron Bank, um, as you would like to call him Mycroft, because he is the fantastic Mycroft in Sherlock. <laughs> That's his name. Just, yep. It just is. And Mycroft seems pretty amenable to, to that at this point, right? Um, he does. I got to say, when I watched it, I felt like Cersei wasn't playing her cards that well, and I couldn't really pick up a reason why, because he does seem very amenable. But there, just something about the scene rubbed me the wrong way, I'll say. Like, Cersei seemed to be overly like overly confident or something I, I i don't exactly know but i felt like even before how this episode ends cersei might be running into a little bit more trouble with the iron bank than she is perceiving herself to be i would agree and i think that she i think the key part there is that she was looking to enter even further into this sort of relationship and I think that, like, you're suggesting she's oblivious to the potential danger there because she's on a winning streak and she feels like, you know, no matter what happens, she's going to be able to come out on top in that, in that relationship. And, you know, despite the, the show's version of the Iron Bank supporting slavery, apparently, uh, they don't lose out on transactions. No, they're absurdly pragmatic. And the fact that Cersei made... And th- th- this could be coloring it, my, my kind of no- knowledge of the books. They are just absurdly pragmatic, um, other than being anti-slavery. That is the one, like, dogmatic position they have. Other than that, they're absurdly pragmatic, and, uh, you know, I-, I just don't see the Iron Bank being like, oh, you pulled one rabbit out of your hat, which am- which admittedly was a great trick. Yep. Yeah, like, for comparison's sakes, Theon taking Winterfell was a great trick. Uh, he did a really good job there, but like that does not mean you have anything else to give us. Right. And I think the Iron Bank is well aware that with Castle Rock out of money and now Highgarden out of money because it was just all paid to the Iron Bank, resources in Westeros in general are running pretty low at this point. Yeah. They don't even have food. <laughs> right. Yeah. More on that later. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go up north first to Winterfell, 
where I, I this was my personal this was my hipster favorite moment of the episode because anyone who says that their favorite moment wasn't watching Danny literally turn men into ash is lying. Yeah, it's true. But my hipster favorite moment this episode is Littlefinger presenting Bran Stark with the dagger used in the assassination attempt on him in, in, in season one. And Bran responding with chaos is a ladder. All but confirming that he knows exactly who put the War of the Five Kings into motion. And for people that aren't as familiar with the lore of a Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire as John and I are, uh, that's Littlefinger. He did. He was the one, I believe, he kind of encouraged Joffrey to make the attempt on Bran's life. I think that he, um, you know, he might have given him the dagger, for example, I think was maybe what he did. I can't exactly remember. But he definitely, like, betrayed Ned and, like, was the person behind the scenes that started this whole chaos. And Bran 100% knows it. Right. And it's just a fantastic callback to a line that, at the time, made Littlefinger look pretty badass. And... The only people in that room when Littlefinger said it, it was him and Varys, and he was well aware of that. And so now he knows that somehow Bran is privy to that, and who knows what else. Yeah, and he knows for sure that that wasn't just Varys mentioning that to Bran north of the wall. Right, right, exactly. That was that was not something that Bran just, like, gained in passing. Yep. So the only other question I have on this scene is, why do you think Littlefinger is giving the the dagger to Bran at all. He's trying to uh, endear himself to another Stark child because Littlefinger's a piece of shit. Okay, that was the impression I got too. Um, I mean, he led once again with the I'm in love with your sister, which... He's got to stop that. I know this is a different world, but that can't be the most effective route in. The, you, know, you know how maybe it could be? <laughs> How's that? <laughs> if he was approximately Sansa's age or just a bit older... <laughs> if he was a nice dude, if and if he wasn't in love with Sansa's mother. Like, as an older brother, you might not like to hear that, but I could see a play that, or like even a younger brother, I could, but I could see a play with like, I know that you don't like this, I'm just laying this on the table, like, give me some time. Like, that play could work. Yeah, I mean, let's say, you know, Podrick Payne, sex god Pod, is, is you know, royalty, or at least a nobleman, and is interested in Sansa. He'll be more interested you know, he'll be more amenable to hearing that than from a 40-something-year-old man who <laughs> yeah, he knows nothing about. Yeah. At least he didn't, like, lead with, like, John, where it was like, well, I wanted to sleep with your mother, but I couldn't. So, like, <laughs> I decided to sleep with your sister. Like, true. He's, he's refining his approach. Just this hasn't quite gotten there he's yet. He's getting a little better at it. Um, <laughs> for someone so smart, telling right. John that he wanted to like. I couldn't have sex with your mother, so I'm going to try to sleep with your sister. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that kills me to think about. Um, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. But th- th- this does, like, continue a theme of Bran just blowing people's minds. Uh, I wish that he would stop blowing people's minds and, like, start, like, actually saying things that matter. But Yes. Yeah, I have many things that I would like him to be doing right now. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing he does is blow Mira's mind by having really no sort of reaction at all to the fact that she's headed back to Greywater Watch. Yeah, I mean, that was just them confirming that Brant's humanity was gone, I think. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, I would like to point something out, though. And is that that Mira's returning to where Howland Reed would supposedly be? Well, there's that. That, that isn't necessarily what I wanted to point out, though. 
what I wanted to point out is someone that literally knew every human interaction that had ever happened would understand the value of loyalty and would understand what you're supposed to say in that circumstance. I kind of agree with that. And I'm a little Just surprised saying. here <laughs> because Kat and I discussed this for a little bit, but we met the three-eyed raven who had been there for almost 100 years, maybe a little over 100 years at this point, living in a tree with the children of the forest around. Yeah, and he seemed to be able to be pragmatic and like... Right. I mean, they arrived and he greeted them with, you know, something much closer to warmth than Bran has managed for his own siblings. So I'm not sure where, you know, maybe he's just maybe he's just getting a little too tree high at this point. Yeah. And like, I mean, I know 100 years, you know, you you can make the argument maybe he's had time to sit into it a little bit more. The three eyed Raven did. Sure. But like, if you know the entire history, if you know back to the original White Walker War, which was what, 7,000, 8,000 years ago. Yep. Around that. Like 100 years is nothing. Like, right. I, right. I, I just like don't. I just minimal... don't see how that moves the needle. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that. I think that the showrunners, the book will invariably do this a lot more delicately because that's how it goes. If we ever get these books, but if we do get yeah. these books, they'll do it more delicately. Uh, but the showrunners are just trying to like kind of force on you that Bran is like now something that like while he's human is something that's like kind of has qualities of things that aren't human per se. Right, and I'm 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 very concerned that the reason they're doing that is because they don't want him to do something as simple as send a raven to John to let him know that he's there with his aunt on Dragonstone because they want them to hook up without knowing that they're committing incest at that well, point. Well, we will get there later, but um, my prediction's looking better. Send a raven, Bran. Send a raven. <laughs> my prediction's looking better. Come on. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I I mean Bran should. Like there's like ten sentences he know, needs to tell John, right? <laughs> it's, I, very, it's very frustrating to me. So, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe he did send a raven, and ravens move slower than armies. In this oh, that world. could be. I think that makes a lot of sense. that's very possible. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so Arya arrives shortly thereafter, and you know her first return to Winterfell since season one. It was a pretty cool moment. I, I liked it. It was, and I liked her just sort of, you know, blowing the minds of the guards there, just popping off when they're arguing with each other. Yeah. Um, I think I think that the important takeaway from that is that, I mean, really, it's not that unreasonable that no one would recognize her or believe her when she says she is who she is. No, that makes sense. And later in the episode, we find out that she was having fun, and she could have, I mean, she could have just snuck into the castle or killed the guards if she wanted to, but she still has, like, her humanity and stuff. Um, yes. And yes. she had some fun. So she arrives, she has the little reunion with Sansa in the crypts, which I think is pretty nice. Yeah. It's a little bit cold at first, you know, this it's been a long time since they've been in the same place. They didn't exactly part on good terms when no. they were in the same place. And you know, they're feeling each other out a little bit, but they're they're able to bond over Ned and, you know, sort of look towards what's coming next. I will say one thing. Like it turned into a joke where Arya was like, do I have to call you Malay or like Milady or Lady Stark. Yeah, Lady Stark. Lady Stark, sorry. And um, Sansa's like, yes. And then they laugh like five seconds later. Like, it's true. Like, you know, they're funny and they're sisters and they're joking around. But like, Sansa was not joking about that sentence. Right. Like, Sansa was I mean, not that like you per se have to call me Lady Stark in front of everyone. But like, know who runs this place was was like, I, I picked up that message in there. I don't know if you did. Um, I think I think there is something to that. I think that Sansa is 
I think she's enjoying her position as you know in control of Winterfell. This is you know we talked about agency about regards with regards to Sansa quite a few times, and this is her first chance to be acting that out really. And she seems to be pretty damn good at it, to be entirely honest. I would agree. I mean, she seems to be doing a fantastic job. Yeah, we've only had a few little snippets, but like, you know, I think that the showrunners in their own way, you know, covering the mail or the breastplates with a leather and like you kind of got a snip in this episode where someone was like, oh, they don't have enough grain. And, you know, someone was, I think, like Littlefinger, somebody was encouraging them to be a little more harsh. And Sansa was like, we're not going to turn someone away just because they didn't like just because their harvest didn't come in enough. Like the she was doing, you know. She showed that she like could actually be a good leader. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Something tells me that you know there might be some more snark leader snipping in like episode one and two of next season, but I I, I don't see it having some major role in the show because I ultimately think that Littlefinger will somehow be involved in that, and I mm-hmm. think that Littlefinger is going to be killed to death because they <laughs> keep um, and now they're on the Stark children. You know they also. They keep bringing up this dagger, and they brought it up against in, again in the Weirwood when Arya, Bran, and Sansa were there. And I know a lot more happened in the Weirwood, but um, we talked about uh, Littlefinger giving Bran the dagger, and like the, the fact that they keep bringing up this dagger, like I just don't, I don't see how it's history and how like Littlefinger's role in Bran's assassination attempt and Ned's uh, demise don't come out soonish. Yes, the dagger is being featured extremely prominently. Um, like we said earlier, there there was the the shot of it in the book that Sam was reading when he rediscovered the catch of Dragonglass underneath Dragonstone. Yep, we've now seen it, you know, on display what three times this episode, I think. Yep. So, yeah, it, there's there's something coming for that dagger, and it is not only is it Valyrian steel, but thanks to uh, a recap on the ringer they pointed out that the the hilt of the dagger is dragon bone and they're positing that it's quite possibly an extremely old relic of the targaryen family given that it's a dragon bone hilt with a valyrian steel dagger oh that makes sense but um that does make sense but something tells me that if Littlefinger goes down sansa's scheming kind of fades back I could see that. And and I think that there's also an interesting point here where, it, you know, in the future, should John end up ascending to a higher position than Lord of Winterfell? You know, John has demonstrated himself an extremely capable leader, but almost entirely in battle situations. Yeah. And it's quite possible that Sansa's better versed in peacetime management of, of these things. Yeah, we've seen very little of peacetime from John. We've seen that he's generally just... Um, but the way that they show that he's just is through, like, murdering people because it's war. <laughs> right, right. Which, so, yeah, it's a... you know, it's not really what you want to see. I mean, they, they tried to show that John was just by not punishing children for their father's sins at the beginning of the season. But I, I, I do agree with you. You know, I could see John ending up on the Iron Throne <laughs> over whatever ruins of a kingdom remain and sure. um, Sansa being, you know, Warden of the North. Right. So yeah, so Bran gives the dagger to Arya, saying, you know, he's got nothing to do with it. Which gives Arya a Valerian steel dagger. Um, yes, which is very important. Yeah, I know that the bigger thing there will probably be Littlefinger's demise, but the fact that Arya can now kill White Walkers matters. Yes, I agree. The other the other important takeaway there, I think, from the Weirwood is that Bran 
says he saw Ari at the crossroads. And there there are two important things to this. One is it's again Brand flexing a little bit, saying, Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm well aware of what you're up to and he, he mentions her list as well. Which she had alluded to in the cave, but Sansa kinda took it as a joke and now this is the beginning of the moment that Sansa kinda realizes, wait, this might not be a joke and then later in the episodes it's very confirmed right. for her. Oh, Arya, Arya really is killing people off the list that she has. Yeah, th- this is when she's like, this was like her, wait, like, wait, what'd you say moment? <laughs> and then <laughs> right. later in the episodes, there's something kind of much more extreme that we'll get to in a little bit. I think. Yes. Um, and I think the other interesting takeaway here is that Bran says he wasn't, he was expecting her to continue on to King's Landing. And I think that that just de- was there to showcase that he he has access to all of these things. But it's not as simple for him as I'm just going to follow somebody around and watch every move they make. He's he's somewhat bound by, you know, fancies and the flow of, of information in a way that doesn't allow him to just simply know anything he wants to know at a given moment. Yeah, I, I feel like what it is is that he, you know, he has access to all of this, but he has finite time. So he can't view it all or know it all. Right. He has to prioritize, right, what he wants to look at. Like, he's not, just for example, this is the first person like this that came to mind, he's not like Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. You know, he doesn't just, like, know the entirety of, like, matter and what's happening in the universe. Yes, and and I think that, you know, the way that they portrayed it, at least with things like the Tower of Joy, is it's a one-to-one timeline where if you're spending time watching these events in the past, that time is passing in real life. So you've got to, you got to figure out which things you need to take, pay attention to and which ones you don't. That's true. And he did just happen to come across Ari at the crossroads, but it also shows, um, and I think this is important, that brand doesn't know the future, right? Yes. He was making predictions based off of Arya's behavior that he viewed at that time. And then he didn't follow her because he was looking at other things. But the fact that, his prediction was wrong, I think is, you know, he's probably better than almost anyone at making predictions because of his wealth of knowledge, but the fact that he was incorrect um, kind of just shows that he's not like a silver bullet that makes this all go away. Right. Should John return or should action need to be made, he can't say, oh, I know exactly what they're going to do over the next next six months, just wait for this to happen and then we'll do that. That's not, not in the cards. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to Dragonstone, where... A raven should be arriving, carrying word of John's royal blood, but yeah, instead, it didn't. <laughs> instead, he meets Danny on the beach of Dragonstone and leads her into the cave of Dragonglass. Cave drawings, bro. And the the cave, the Dragonglass is extremely beautiful. Yeah. It's it's hard to imagine that it's it's worthless in the world just from a, a prettiness standpoint. Jewelry. Yeah, you'd think somebody would want it. I mean, you know, have a nice show sword. That'd be pretty cool looking. Um, But more importantly, he leads her deeper into the cave and shows her cave drawings from the children of the forest. Yeah. (laughs) The showrunners aren't lying to us, but, you know, I I do believe that these are drawings that existed from, like, time of yore. And (laughs) we're just going to accept that as a fact, but, like, this is a really bad way to prove your argument. Yeah. Yeah, hey, you left me alone in this cave for a while. Come check it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that is it's not... It's my a, evidence. The cave drawings prove me right argument has, like, never worked in human history. <laughs> Ever. 
Um, some fantastic work depicting the White Walkers as well. I mean, there was a really spit image of the Night's King there on that wall. One of those children of the forest could really draw. He was such a good drawer. Yeah, that was like that was like their uh, their designated artist that was working on that one, while the rest of them just doodled and chalk on the other and side. And like of the, the wall. white in the drawing, you'd think that would fade, but it didn't. So no, no, still strong. Even some blue eyes in there. It I mean, was, that was stunning. Yeah, maybe, it, but maybe that's just because of the dragon glass, which would definitely indicate that it's valueless. <laughs> it's good, definitely good. <laughs> um, perhaps, perhaps more, uh, certainly more troubling for me. They, 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 you know, a little, little bit of sparks flying, flying in this cave here. Yeah, there were. In a way, it's very uncomfortable between Just an embrace and a nephew. It. It's gonna happen, dude. And then Davos made a comment later I, when they were on the beach, like, "I know you were watching her heart." That was like, I saw you looking down her blouse. <laughs> like, I know what you were doing. John's got a uh, a pretty stellar track record in caves as well. Yeah, that's true. He's only taken one other woman into a cave before. <laughs> just saying ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i'm so upset about this <laughs> <laughs> what's funny about this is it didn't i feel like that sh- episode had much more of an impact on you than me because like i'm still like they have a 70 percent chance of hooking up but your odds have to have gone up exponentially yeah i went from like a zero percent to probably like a 30 35 percent chance now saying. and i'm like so it, angry about it it barely so moved angry. the needle for me if anything the episode moved the needle backwards just because like we're running out of time <laughs> but like, yeah true yours true. went up several magnitudes if we if we end up with with an aunt and a nephew <laughs> married sitting the iron throne <laughs> waiting for the next the next line of targaryens to go mad i'm going to be so mad turn it, it would it seems right though doesn't it it would be an exceptional troll move from george if like they, they do an epilogue and it's you know like john and danny's grandson behaving somewhat erratically it's like god damn it <laughs> it's the seven it's a 17 years later insult to the the way harry potter ended uh, <laughs> exactly exactly just like the opposite of it <sighs> okay, so after they come out of the cave, uh, apparently without any any shenanigans going on, and without more importantly John bending the knee, because Danny does insist once again, and John essentially says, "You know, the, I, I can't do that to the to the Northerners. That that's just not the way that I that I can go about this." Danny comes out. It's almost, and then Danny says, "Like you should lead them." It's almost like they're building up to a moment. Where the two of them get married, but John agrees <laughs> that Danny is the matriarch, isn't it? Stop it's almost it. like we're building up to that, isn't it? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, uh, I'm so angry. Okay, so they come out of the cave, and, uh, and you know, again, sort of a preview of, of what perhaps married life could be for these, these relatives. <laughs> Danny turns to John for some advice. She's... she's failed once again she gets news from Varys and Tyrion that the attack on Castle Rock was a success but that they lost Highgarden and she is not pleased Uh, as she's storming back to grab her dragon she would like to fly onto the Red Keep and set it on fire which not the worst idea I mean it would work yeah yeah and it's definitely gonna grab some attention yeah I mean in like I, I gotta be honest John and Danny collectively have like enough knowledge to unite the realm, which is 
Danny kills Cersei. Everyone's kind of like, wow, that was, you know, pretty fucked up how you murdered all those people. But then the White Walkers come, and Danny uses her dragons to protect the realm, and then everyone definitely forgets about the murdering of all those people, right? Like, that's how you do it. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet, pretty sweet setup there. Because say, like, from a real politique perspective, these guys haven't made. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree. And and I think, you know, there's an important moment with Danny turning to John for advice here, and John's advice was spot on, which is you know, you, you don't want to kill civilians in the pursuit of this and alienate the population that you intend to rule. But he's also very firm on the idea that you you can't just continue to lose battles and do nothing. I mean, I think John's advice was perfect. And I think that, and we'll talk about this later in the battle with Danny. And I think that Danny followed it well and did something completely reasonable within the rules of the game. So, yep, before we get before we get to that battle, we'll go ahead and cover what else happened because the battle was obviously the the climax of the episode and deserves more of the attention. So back in Winterfell, Arya trains with Brienne, and this was I think the purpose here was was twofold. One is you let Sansa come to the full realization of what she was sort of tiptoeing around earlier, which is wait, does my sister really have a kill list that she's working on? And then secondly is you get to see Arya kind of in straight-up melee action for the first time in a while. And she's really good at killing. And this is... And she even made the point to Pod, you know, you made the mistake of fighting her, of, like, fighting someone like her, which, like, the implication to Arya was, you know... Like, the implication I took from that was, you know, I might be able to beat you. Like, I can probably beat you, but I don't like the word probably there. So, like, I'll just murder you in your sleep. Right. Right, she knows that she's best suited in the shadows and attacking people, and as a result, she's hoping to get better at the more formal style of combat where she'll be able to kill someone who's well aware of where she is and also very highly skilled. Yeah, however, she is really good at one-on-one combat. She is. She is a total badass. I would say that the battle is a... I give her the nod. Yeah, I would give her a slight edge, I would say. I think that Brienne took it a little easy on the beginning, but Arya right. won that Arya won that fight like 4-1. Yep, and she busted out or the dagger four at the two, end. Or 4-2, I guess, because you give them the tie at the end. Yeah, I was I was a little surprised that at the end when Arya, you know, unsheathed the dagger and, and used that in sort of the final stroke there, that Baelish didn't, didn't look down and go, Arya, I'm in love with your sister. <laughs> Arya, I gave that dagger to Bran before I gave it to you. Also, have I mentioned? <laughs> it's just, just so you know, I feel like we're really on a good start here. <laughs> I'd like to point out that I'm trying. I may be old enough to be your father, and you're aware of that <laughs> because I attempted to sleep and marry your mo- sleep with and marry your mother. But I'm in love with your sister. <laughs> just, just wanted to let you know. You're welcome for the dagger. <laughs> uh, yes. Are you loyal to me yet now? <laughs> <laughs> did did that work? How how are you feeling about me? Oh, he got he got dumb in season 7, man. <laughs> he really did. Uh I think there's also the element here where Littlefinger is not aware that Arya saw him at Harrenhal with Tywin, correct? No, not at all. Littlefinger did. Oh, is that is that that's a that's a red wedding precursor. I believe it was, and I'm trying to remember what exactly I mean, they discussed Littlefinger there. Littlefinger is going to get murdered for a whole bunch of reasons. 
true, true. There, there are many to choose from. Why whether Bran, Bran just or not. told everyone yet, so he can just die? He's he's busy, you know, being standoffish. Like I used to like Littlefinger on the screen. You have to be honest. Every time he's on the screen, are you not just like, oh my god, will someone just stab this dude in the heart already? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he's like, he was a badass character, but he is way over you, over you, like overlived his usefulness. He's been played out big time. <laughs> like, and someone just fucking killed this guy. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, Arya's got the dagger. Uh, let me go through this. Yeah, I'll I'll do some research for next week's on when exactly they met and what Littlefinger was discussing at Harrenhal. But okay. I'm pretty sure that it's enough for Arya to want to kill him, regardless of Bran, you know, disclosing any useful information to anyone. Yeah, Bran's just busy, you know, blowing people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to keep the mystery up for a bit, I think. He's just, he's just like, trying to freak people out, so... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so back in Dragonstone, uh, Theon arrives, and I don't really care, do you? No, nah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It was nice that Jon got to grab him by the by the shirt, I guess, but... Like, let's be completely honest. Like, Yara doesn't matter anymore. I feel like she is no longer relevant to the plot. There's just no way she matters. I... I think the best part about this scene in Dragonstone is for sure just the feeling that, that you got on the couch as as Kat and I did when John says that Danny's gone. Oh yeah. That that was that was the good moment where you're like, Oh yes. Oh boy. Yep. <laughs> you're like, Oh, finally. <laughs> and so that will take us to what I can only hope will not go down as the battle of the loot train, the loot train battle, something like that. There's a really bad name for it that was floating around. Is there not? Oh, we don't have a name for it yet, do we? I don't think so. Not I that like I know of. I like the loot train battle. The battle where Danny sets so much food on fire. Yes, yes. The battle of burning. How about that? We're in winter. Well, like when it happened, I was like, oh, if she does this right, she's going to get, she lost all that food to feed her army. We talked about it earlier this episode. If she does this right, she gets it all back. And then she set it all on fire. Yeah, the logistics of food and common people do not seem to be important in the rest of the realm, outside of Winterfell, where its importance is also questionable because we haven't actually seen any food run out yet. We've just seen them stockpiling it. I'm just going to say, book readers, um, this is going really light thus far. If we get Owens of Winter ever, get ready to read some chapters that are rough with a lot of starving. starvation. Like, it's not going to be hidden like it is in this show. There's going to be, like, starvation and, like, a fair amount of cannibalism in book six. Yeah. They showed the one family in this season that had starved when the Hound and Beric. And I get why they are. I get why they are. Because George R. R. Martin probably could show less of it and write shorter chapters and be done by now. (laughs) Yes. That's a possibility. So, yeah. the, The battle scene, you know, begins. And everything is quiet. Uh, Randall Tarley announces to Jamie that all of the gold has made it into King's Landing, which is important for the the immediate payment of the Lannister debts. But what happens afterwards probably would, you know, make them a little bit less interested in back in the Lannister cause because as you hear the, the thunder sort of come over the horizon and, and you start to hear the screams of the Dothraki, the Lannister lines form up and, you know, you, you could sort of be forgiven for thinking, you know, this is going to be a fight. The Dothraki, you know, aren't as, aren't as versed in straight-on combat. I, I saw someone, a meme online that did, uh, that pointed this out. 
was like, why didn't you listen to Robert Baratheon? And it was like, Robert Baratheon season one, like, who would be a fool enough to face the Dothraki in the field, in the open yep. field? Yep. You so, could just sit in a castle. Yeah. So the, this is the situation where, like, the Mongol horde, aka the Dothraki, like, this is just what they do. Yep. And uh, and right over their heads comes Danny on Drogon, and we finally get to see a dragon unleashed on a standing army. Which, like, is not how it would actually be used, but the showrunners did a pretty good job of showing its effectiveness. It was pretty rad. Yeah. And I'll be the first to say, I have some complaints with dragon strategy in this episode. The fact that Danny didn't have armor on, like, the people that were critiquing that, like, Jon Snow doesn't have helms on to the north. Like, it, it's television. <laughs> just get over it. Like, we have, to, we have to know who the actors are, so, like, just get over it. Yeah, you want to get that FaceTime on that, there. That, that, that critique, and I... Anyone that listens to this, I have several critiques. I think that one's a little silly. I would agree. And especially, you know, I suppose that you could design your dragon killing strategy around trying to hit the rider with an arrow. But as we as we see in this episode, it's pretty hard to even reach a dragon with a bow and arrow. Yeah. And it's going to be even harder to land it on someone on its back with any impact. Yeah. Unless, of course, you just land in front of the line, wait a second for dramatic... Uh, pause for dramatic effect then spitfire right that's a little dangerous then which did happen like once or twice so she sets fire to a large group of the lannister soldiers the dothraki are doing their bit uh, firing arrows from horseback cutting down shield men and you know the the battle is quickly out of hand in no small part because half the army is being set on fire while this is all happening yes Things are getting pretty hectic. Bronn is forced to sort of take off running. Um, he he is he's advised by Jamie to go get the the scorpion ready, which is of course the ballista that we saw Kyburn demonstrate not too long ago. Yeah, this is when I get a little for you, irritated. Were we supposed to know who in particular was chasing Bronn? I think maybe we've seen it. It, it didn't look like anyone that mattered. I think maybe we've seen him. I mean, it, it, it's it's random Dothraki person. Yeah, that's pretty much what I wrote down, was just Dothraki guy. Like, she doesn't have any formal blood riders left. Right. In the book, I think she did. So I think in the book, if if this happens, you know, it could be a formal blood rider, because I think she still had some left. Yeah, and they certainly made him made him look pretty formidable. Yeah. So he chases Bronn down and takes a scorpion bolt to the chest, and Bronn then kicks open the very well-designed one-man ballista, yeah, that I have a lot of grievances with this. <laughs> so this this moment here, this uh, you know, Bronn versus Danny and Dragon showdown. There are some there are some issues. There 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 are a few there are a few. Bronn is really accurate with that thing. And that doesn't seem like how that would work. Exceptional. And and very good at maneuvering it as well. And yeah, and it seems like it'd be pretty freaking heavy, right? Right, and it's essentially a turret. I mean, he's he's just rotating little little hand pedals there, and he's just sort of sort of wheeling this turret around with it while he's doing it. We see how ineffective arrows are as Jamie, you know, has a whole group unleash the arrows, and Drogon wisely just sort of gives his belly to him, and they just all glance off. And Danny comes in for another pass, and the scorpion bolt that Bronn fires whizzes very near Drogon and her. Yes, and. As soon as this happens, she makes a very smart decision to circle around. And I was thinking, Bronn is screwed. 
that seemed like a good decision or like a good conclusion. I mean, there's Unfortunately, there are so many different ways to play your cards here. Yes. One is to bounce because yeah. you've won like and let the Dothraki deal with it. But let's say you want to do something with your dragon. Like It would be to fly in some erratic pattern other than a laser pointer straight line. Yeah, I mean, approach from the side, approach from the back, uh, you know, approach from straight on, but then move to the side. Yep. Any of these would really be pretty helpful. Fire, like, shoot, like, approach serpentinely and shoot a bunch of fucking fire the whole way down. <laughs> right. That seems like it would work. Instead, she approaches head on, and Drogon takes a scorpion bolt to the shoulder area, the, the dragon shoulder. Yeah. And, uh, you know, pulls out of a, a sort of death spiral and lands safely with Danny on his back, but is nonetheless, you know, on the ground now. Then he kills a much more shit. Yes. He kills a uh, lot more It turns out people. that though the dragon is groundbound, still not a great idea to approach. Uh, he does eliminate the scorpion, which, you know, who knows how many James, or Cersei will have when we get back to King's Landing. She'll have plenty. Right. I mean, this was just an introduction of it. The next time we see a scorpion, there'll be like 20 on the walls. Like, let's just be honest. Like, right, that, like, that, that's where the show's going. I think so. And I think the purpose of this, because Danny and Drogon's plot armor here is pretty thick. You know, even when he opened his mouth and I had this moment of like, are you kidding me? Are they going to kill Drogon in the first ever battle that Danny enters? I had to remind myself, of course they're not going to. Like, yeah. neither Danny or Drogon is dying in this battle. Yeah. I like the very plot armor. And she, so she ends up taking on the scorpion. But this, this I think the, the point there was that it would show that the scorpion is an effective weapon against a dragon. Yeah, that was the whole point. Which is why the next time we see him, they'll be all over the walls of King's Landing when there's like, or like the walls of some castle, or there'll be a bunch on a field when all three dragons take it, and it'll be like very stressful, if that makes sense. Right. Yes, I agree. And they'll each like take a few during the battle. And in Danny's next questionable decision, she decides to hop off Drogon, in, oh, land Drogon in the, in the middle of the battlefield. So stupid. And then hop off to remove the, the bolt from Whatever. the scorpion. It, it's like paled in comparison by the next stupid decision so uh, around this point Tyrion and Varys uh you know ascend to a hill overlooking the battle to I guess watch and Tyrion notices Jamie, who at this point is is still on his horse and you know he's well aware that the battle is lost yeah and his military I mean he doesn't have an army anymore right but he sees an opening provided by Danny's decision to to land, you know, right in the middle of all the action. Yeah. And he begins a charge and picks up a spear uh, on his way to to Danny and Drogon. Now I'm assuming that his goal here was just to spear Danny and you know cut off the head of the of the army opposing his sister. Mm-hmm. That does seem. Uh, I think that was right. I think it was just to kill Danny. I mean, I think that was. I think he wanted to die, man. <laughs> I think he's kind of over it, don't you? I think it's safe to say that Jamie does not feel like there is much more to lose. Yeah, so like, I think he wanted to kill Dan. I mean, throwing a spear would have been a much better way. Come on. I mean, maybe he can- maybe he's not confident, le- confident left-handed. But I think, yeah, you be. know, he wanted to kill Danny and then get eaten alive by a dragon. Yeah, I think, you know, he is uh, an old-school soldier. He's been trained that way his entire life, and dying in that sort of service has, 
you know, something that's not at all foreign to him. I think that it was also, I mean, like you said, he had a chance to take out the ruler of the enemy army. That is, you know, that's exchanging your life for the queen of the other is a victory, right? Yeah, no, that would have been, it would have been a victory. I also think that, like, I I, I don't see House Lannister's, like, I don't see how they come back from this. Like, I, I think I think that it was partially that, but I, I honestly put, like, fit, over 50% of it was just, like, he just wanted to die. What about Deus Ex Euron? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Perhaps the Lannisters are able to get out of this because Euron sails a ship up the Tumblestone River and fires a scorpion bolt and kills Drogon. <laughs> that, that is true. That could have happened, um, but... <laughs> It luckily did not. So um, he's presumptively still at uh, Casterly Rock, right? As Jamie is is charging, Drogon, you know, very easily aware of a charging horse, turns to uh, stick his head in front of Danny's and starts starts getting a fireball ready. Uh, at which point, Bronn arrives just in time to tackle Jamie Lannister clear from Westeros into the Narrow Sea, seemingly <laughs> because he's. He's dropping a bunch of feet, and as we discussed earlier, and like, it doesn't matter, people, and I know it's just a little petty grievance. Not how tackling works, John? <laughs> not so much, no. no uh, a fully armed, a fully armored person no. on a horse, you're, uh, you're not going to get much distance on that, on if, that takedown. And as anyone that's played football knows, if that person is moving at a bunch of speed with a bunch of momentum forward, even if you hit him from the side, like... You you might tackle him, but like you're not gonna really blow him up that hard. Right, right. I think uh, as you as you described very perfectly, even the even the creators of NFL Blitz are, are <laughs> laughing at that one. Yeah, they're laughing. <laughs> yeah, we discussed. Braun would have had to clear the horse by a wide margin. So Braun is lur- literally hurtling over a horse and right. tackling someone with armor on into thirty foot deep water <laughs> that was right next to land. Yes, yeah, where they were riding just a moment ago. But, uh, and the reason we know that the water is that deep is that the final shot of the episode is Jamie sinking into its cloudy depths. I mean, he is sinking out of sight. It's a sinkhole. That being said, Jamie's alive, right? Yeah, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie's not dead. Anyone that argues Jamie's dead is wrong. I agree. Uh, they're going to fish him out somehow. I was going to say, I'm still firmly in the Jamie kills Cersei category, like camp. So. Yes, that is still highly possible. Um, and you know, I, I feel like the next the next thing he's going to be doing is presumably being reunited with Tyrion, right? As Danny tells everyone to bend the knee after this battle. Oh, I just got a really cool theory. Okay, let's hear it. So, the King's Landing is kind of falling near the end of the season. Cersei, you know, people are kind of storming, and she's like, "Let's destroy our enemies and go down in a blaze of glory. Let's like set the rest of the wildfire on fire." Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's burn them all. Yep. And then Jamie, as he did to a different king, kills her. Yep. To save to save the city. Almost a perfect circle from the, the you know, origin of the Kingslayer moniker. That feels pretty right, doesn't it? It does. It definitely does. I mean, it's a bold, it's a bold prediction, but... Yeah. It's also possible that Cersei was right and that Tyrion does kill him, even, you know, the Valancor, even though people kind of thought to spin it on its head but like the way it's spun on its head it's like yeah you thought he was the bad guy but like are you kidding are you kidding yourself right yeah that 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 certainly could be yeah and and so yeah we're gonna see i think we're gonna see jamie a prisoner now of danny's side and 
working through some uh, some issues there with Tyrion. You think he's going to be captured? I don't know how else he's getting out of that river. Yeah, you're right. I guess Bronn can't like drag him to the shore and then they like escape. Yeah, I wouldn't think so anyway. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, Tyr- he he's going to be mad at Tyrion, and Tyrion's going to be like that. That'll be a good scene if that does happen. That could be one of the best scenes of the entire season. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've seen Jamie and Tyrion together, and you know they have one of the, I would say, closer family bonds in the show. Yeah, or they did. They did. Well, Jamie now knows that Tyrion didn't kill Jamie's son. True. But he does. But he still did kill his um, father. Yeah. And just did that. Um, so the other the other sort of storyline that I you know want to speculate about here in terms of next episode, Danny asking people to bend the knee. Mm-hmm. is I've been wondering why they've been giving so much screen time to Dickon, besides the fact that it's really fun to laugh at his name. Yeah, that feels like maybe there's going to be a bunch of forces of the Tarleys left somehow at the end of this battle, and he'll bend the knee, mm-hmm. right? That's what I'm thinking, too. And then I'm thinking that that would allow... That would that would provide an opening for Dickon to... Dickon? Dickon? Whatever. Whatever. Either way, it it's matter. very funny. Uh, to reunite with Sam... And potentially end up wielding Heartsbane against a White Walker invasion. Oh, that would be that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Did Randall Tarley die in that battle? Was that confirmed? We, I don't think we I don't think we confirmed any important person dying in that battle. Yeah, but Randall Tarley doesn't get to survive this unscathed. Like even if he's alive, Danny's not going to forgive him. Right, and it's hard to imagine him bending the knee in this situation, given how stubborn he is. Yeah, and given that he sided. Right. Right. So yeah, I just thought that might be an interesting little way there because they've they've shown Dickon a lot, and you know even though Sam has Heartsbane, I don't think anyone's fooling themselves into thinking that he's going to be on the front lines against the the White Walkers wielding it. So no, no, that does not seem right. I could see him in an emotional moment giving it back to Dickon, like go use this in our family name. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. So is there any other speculation you want to do regarding the? I'm trying to figure out the third betrayal still. Yeah, I don't think we have yet. I don't think it happens this season. I don't think we know enough. <laughs> it looks like you were correct that uh, there wasn't necessarily a mole involved. It was just... Yeah, I I was watching closely for the Missandei stuff, and I feel like with like her loyalty speech to Davos, I don't know. Yep, I agree. That one sort of killed that thought for me. I just feel like, unless it's like she's the greatest ever... But you're right, there was, like, she's the greatest mole ever, but some of the points you made did make sense, but it it, it probably was just people reaching and overreading things that, you know, weren't there. Right, and hoping that the hoping the that convenience it all made sense. of making things difficult would, would be, you know, something greater. <laughs> yeah, hoping that it all made sense. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to touch on is, again, in speculation... That would that would mean, and actually, I guess it doesn't have to mean this because that part of the prophecy is only in the books. But that would mean that there is a third betrayal awaiting Danny, and it's still the one for love. Yeah, I still think that's probably Jon Snow. I don't fully understand why, but besides the fact that the show, even though I don't think that this episode proves she was crazy in any way, shape, or form because she just killed an army, but the show was clearly trying to build it in a way that showed that she was kind of moving on a darker path. And I could see, I don't know fully under, I don't fully know why, but if you know, like Azor Zai had to kill his wife to like sharpen yep. his sword. 
Yeah, to finish forging his, his blade Lightbringer. Yeah, this isn't going to be about making a magical sword, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think that is a good point to touch on just real quick, is that I agree that they're trying to set it up to make Danny look a little unhinged here with her attack. Yeah. I cannot disagree with that more. It's it's There's a war going on. She has dragons. It's an opposing army. Yeah, it's it's no no more, you know, disturbing than setting a field ablaze with soldiers in it with flaming arrows. I mean, John was completely right that if she started unleashing dragons on civilian like population centers, then that is a different story, but John talked her out of it and so instead she attacked an army in the field, which is like, you know, not to, to like quote the wire like that's how the game's played. Like those are the rules of the game. If you're yep. in an army, like, yeah, you get attacked by your enemies. Right. That's the way it works. Yeah, that's sort of the whole point, isn't it? Absolutely. And Absolutely. if your enemies See, have I, dragons. I say... <laughs> yeah, well. So, yeah, I think I think that's good for this week. Um, I don't have anything else that I wanted to touch on, did you? No, I think that was it. Um, it'll be, I think next week's going to be a pretty pivotal show. Because we're going to have some conclusion battle stuff in 6 and 7 to kind of wrap up to wrap up King's Landing and to wrap up kind of the squabbling between the leaders of Westeros, because I really do think season six is going to be focused on the White Walkers. So I think that in the next episode, we're going to get a bunch of insight into who and how that will kind of, you know, the positioning that that will ultimately take. I agree. Do you think we see the White Walkers next episode? I think we do. I think that they have to start kind of reinforcing like i think that the battle for westeros could be concluded by episode six and then there's kind of like they do a lot there's a lot of realigning and then the season ends with the white walkers being there yeah because i really i gotta say slow progress from the white walkers yeah which for the record get a map yeah they i mean we've seen like the north isn't that big like there have been armies just teleporting all over the field (laughs) people just running around westeros (laughs) <laughs> well, maybe, do, but that being said, they do have zombies. Zombies move notoriously slowly. Yeah, they, you know, a little, little bit of shambling going on, going on there, more so than marching. Yeah, but they actually have pretty good zombies. Like, the zombies in this show have been pretty fast. They have, yeah. Definitely not the uh, the sort of old-school Dawn of the Dead type. No, Dawn of the Dead zombies were fast, dude. Don't you remember that show? Don't you remember that? I, th- I thought that was just in the reboot. Oh, yeah, the reboot, exactly. Yeah, I was thinking of the OG ones, oh, okay. but they might have been fast in that, Fair too. Fair enough. It, I'll be honest, my zombie movie knowledge is, is uh, not as good as my Game this of Thrones is, knowledge. This may be time. We're, we've drifted it on the dead, so maybe time to <laughs> call it. It's possible we've, we've gotten off topic. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting back together again next week to talk about episode five. All right, I'll talk to you later, man.